Thank you so much, Mark. That is Mark's prayer is a beautiful introduction, actually, to what I want to share with you this morning. We are going to continue this morning in our ongoing study in the Gospel of John. And this morning, we are in uh, John chapter 9 and verses 1 through 12. The Gospel of John chapter 9 and verses 1 through 12. As Mark mentioned in his prayer at the end of chapter 8 last week, as Jesus is interacting with the Jewish leaders who are opposing him, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus declares himself to be the great I am, the ever-existent God. And the Jewish leaders un understood exactly what, is say what he was saying because it says they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now that brings us to chapter 9. And the first phrase in chapter 9 is, as he passed by, he was leaving the temple as he was escaping those who were trying to stone him stone him and then let me read verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9 as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Well, as I mentioned to you last week, when we ended chapter 8, we were ending not only a chapter but a whole section. John chapters 5 through 8 form a long section of ongoing interaction and conflict between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. It has some difficult parts to it, chapters 5 through 8, but it is a very important part of Scripture very important in proclaiming the full deity, the full godship of Jesus. But the reason I point that out to you again this morning is because when we come to chapter 9, we not only come to a new chapter, but we are actually coming to another section, a new section within the Gospel of John. It is much more event-oriented, much more action-oriented, as you have seen in this passage. So our first point this morning is the purpose of the Gospel of John. As we start a new chapter in the Gospel of John, it is good for us to remember John's purpose for writing this Gospel. I think any time you study through a book of the Bible, you should know, and you can do this easily through reading study helps and commentaries, what's the purpose of the book? Why was it written? To whom was it written? 
And it is important to know the purpose of the Gospel of John. It's good to stop. I, I shared this with you a number of months ago, but I want to share it again. The purpose is found in John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's it. The Gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John is not simply a history book. Oh, it is a history book, and it records accurate history. It is not simply a theological book. Oh, it is a theological book. It is a great theological book. Many great doctrines in the Christian faith are found in the Gospel of John. But that's not its primary purpose. The Gospel of John was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh, and that by believing, we will receive him as Lord and Savior. We will invite him into our lives to be my Lord and my Savior. Now, that is very important as we come to this particular miracle. Jesus miraculously gives sight to a man who was born blind to demonstrate that he is the Christ, the Son of God, so that people will believe in him and receive him as Savior. He didn't just heal this man to do a miracle. He didn't just do miracles to do miracles. That is so important for us to understand. He did miracles to demonstrate that he is who he claims to be. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the one sent by God, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, so that people will believe in him and receive him as Savior and Lord. Now we see this this passage, a man born blind, back in chapter 5, we saw a man who was an invalid, who was physically crippled for 38 years before Jesus healed him. And as we go through these things in Scripture, we are reminded that disease and illness and physical deformities and death have dominated human history. Certainly, history is filled with specific events that we learn and talk about, but history is a history of fallen man living in a sinful and fallen world. The history of man is a history of diseases and illnesses and physical deformities and, of course, of rampant death. And throughout history, blindness has been very common. Most of history, in most of history, blindness has been very common. Remember, throughout most of human history, they didn't have big medical centers and they didn't have advanced technological surgeries that could either help or repair blindness. They didn't have those things. Blindness was very common at this time. And something else I want you to think about. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but throughout most of human history, even throughout most of biblical history, healings and miracles were extremely rare. If you were to just go this week, and if you had the time and you could read through the entire Old Testament, you would find that there were very few miracles, especially physical healings. Oh, there were some. We think of First and Second Kings when we had the ministries, and was just reading through this recently, the ministries of Elijah and then his successor, Elisha. They performed some 
physical healings. But for the most part, there aren't a lot of healings, even throughout the Bible. And yet when Jesus arrives on the scene for his earthly ministry at about 30 years of age, there, excuse me, miracles and healings just explode. There were more healings and miracles during Jesus' three years of ministry than we will ever know about. Even the Gospel of John says there were many signs that were not even written down. Many miracles that were not even written down. There were all kinds of them that he was doing on a regular basis. Before Jesus was 30, in his first 29 years of life, as far as we know, he didn't perform any miracles. But in that three-year time span, and it was an explosion. Why? Why in that three-year period of time? It's because the explosion was intended to demonstrate that the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human flesh, had arrived in the world. He was and is everything that he claimed to be. So when we come to verse 1, it says, And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Details are so important in the Bible. As he passed by, he was leaving the temple. And as he was passing this man, Jesus decided that he was going to show mercy and kindness to this particular man. Now remember, there are all kinds of beggars at the temple. People who were blind. People who were deaf. People who were physically deformed, crippled. But he chooses one of them. And we are told in the Bible that this man, that he saw a man blind from birth. Folks, I just want you to think about that this morning. He was blind from birth. He never saw anything. I don't, know even, I don't even know what that would be like. It wasn't that he became blind in an accident when he was an adult or that he got some kind of disease and gradually lost his sight. He never saw anything. He lived in a world of complete darkness. I'm sure some people tried to describe things to him, but he had never seen anything. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was a very prevalent thought at this time in history, especially among the Jewish people, that if you were blind or you were deaf, or you were crippled in some way. It was because of a specific sin that you committed. It either had to be you or your parents, and you were being punished. So every blind person, deaf person, crippled person, deformed person, must have committed some specific sin, and God was punishing them. Well, folks, Jesus is going to destroy that argument. And I hope you don't think that about anyone, because that's absolutely unbiblical. I mean, we know today, we know today, there are atheists who despise God, don't believe in God, rebel against God, who are in great health. And there are devout, I mean devout, Christian men and women who have struggled part or most of their lives with serious illnesses and diseases. Now, we do know that ultimately, generally, our physical illnesses and diseases are caused by sin in general, by the fall of man, the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world. But they are not caused. Folks, they are not caused by specific sins. And so Jesus says in verse 3, a very important verse, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. You are wrong for even thinking that. 
It was not his sin. It was not his parents' sin. And then Jesus says this, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus, for reasons known ultimately only to him, chooses this blind man to perform a great miracle and to further demonstrate who he is and who he claims to be. He was about to display the glory of God and the power of God through this particular man who had been born blind. And in verse 4, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. Night is coming when no one can work. What does Jesus mean? We must work the works of the Father, of God the Father, while it is daytime. Because night is coming. Jesus is not, he is not talking about a literal day and he is not talking about a literal night. He is talking about a spiritual day and he is talking about a spiritual night. Do you know when daytime is? It's when you're alive. It's when you're alive. That's your time. And this has at least three applications. The first being, I think, the primary interpretive application. Jesus was saying to them, I must do the works of my father while it is daytime. He was about six months from his crucifixion. It was daytime. Night was coming. His crucifixion and death were coming. It was time to display the works of the father, to show the power, majesty, and glory of the father. But I think it not only applied to Jesus, but it probably also applied to his disciples. They would not have many more years to live. Most of them would be martyred for their faith. The one exception would be the Apostle John who was exiled, exiled to the island of Patmos. But their time was short too. And I think there's a third application. I think it applies to every single one of us. This is your time. This is daytime for you because you're alive. This is your time to work for the Lord. You weren't born in the 1500s. You weren't born in the 1800s. You were born now. This is your time to live for the glory of God. This is your time to serve God, glorify God, and be everything you can for him. There is no other time. This is your, and you, this is your time, and you never know how short it is. You never know how short it is. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then he says... Or let me add to that, the Apostle Paul tells us basically the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's the exact same thing. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Boy, I asked myself as I studied that this week, you ask yourself, are you making the best use of your time for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God? Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. The days are going to end. The days are going to be over. And to go along with that, he says in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You can almost feel the tension, the power of those words. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is my time. He is going to show that in a profound and dramatic way by healing this blind man. But he says, I am the light of the world. We saw this already 
In John chapter 8 and verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come to me. I want to take you from darkness to light. I want to take you from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. I want to open blind eyes. And oh, how that leads us to the miracle itself in verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, notice that, having said these things, it's almost nighttime, but I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There are three things I want us to think about in this healing itself. First of all, here is this man. This is what we're thinking about today. Blind from birth. He's never seen anything. Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, anoints his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it says, so he went and washed and came back seeing. That last phrase is powerful. So he came back with perfect vision. What was that like? To be blind your whole life, never see anything, to live in complete darkness for your entire life. And then have perfect sight. I don't even think we can begin to understand his exhilaration, his exuberance at being given sight by Jesus. And Jesus gave him perfect healing, perfect sight. What a miracle. That in and of itself is just astounding. Second thing I want you to notice, he's told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I don't want to make too much of this. But every commentary I read happened to mention this. The pool of Siloam was the main source of fresh, beautiful water within the walls of Jerusalem. Actually, way back in the Old Testament, under the reign of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, in what today is still considered a major engineering feat, his people dug a tunnel under massive rock underneath the walls of Jerusalem and diverted the springs of Gihon, which were also known as the springs of the Virgin. Fresh water diverted it into the city of Jerusalem underneath the wall. He wanted to make sure that if Jerusalem was ever attacked from the outside, inside the city, they would always have fresh water. And this pool of fresh water inside the city of Jerusalem began to have all kinds of symbolic significance. People called it scent. They just named the pool scent because it was sent from Gihon. Then they believed it was sent from God and people actually thought that it had some kind of miraculous healing power just if you were to dip in it. It really didn't, but it had that kind of significance. But what's a possibility here is that John wants us to see That the one who was sent from God, Jesus, tells the blind man to go wash in the pool called scent. The one who was sent from God, Jesus, tells the blind man to go and wash in the pool called scent. Now again, I don't want to make too much of that. 
but it does say, go wash in the pool of Siloam, parentheses, which means sent. But there's something else I want us to think about here. It almost always comes up when Jesus does a miracle like this. The question is this, why did Jesus spit on the ground and make mud and anoint this man's eyes and then tell him to go wash in the pool? Why didn't he just tell him, be healed? I mean, back in John chapter 5, there was an invalid for 38 years. Jesus says, get up, take your mat and go home. He gets up, he's completely healed, completely made physically whole and walks away. Jesus never even touches it. Why does he do this here? It's not the only place he does it. We learn Mark chapter 7, Jesus healed a deaf man by putting mud in his ears. In Mark chapter 80, he was a blind man, a different blind man by putting mud on his eyes. So the question is, why did Jesus sometimes just say, be healed, and you can see, as he did in some places, and other places he made mud and anointed them? Why? And here's the correct answer. I have no idea. Okay? And you have no idea either. That is the correct answer. We don't know why. Oh, it was amazing. I, this week I read all kinds of things on this, on why he made mud and put it on their eyes. And I'm thinking, really? Um, I mean, you're just making this up. It's just pure speculation. We really don't know why. We don't know why. But here's what we do know. Jesus can heal any way he wants, anywhere he wants, and any time he wants, because he's God. Okay? We don't have to wonder why he does it. He does it. And this man experienced a great healing from Jesus. And that brings us to our second point this morning, which is the miracle of salvation. The miracle that Jesus performs is so great that the people who knew the man born blind can hardly believe that he is now able to see. They can hardly believe it. Look at verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, nobody is like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. I am the man. They're saying, oh, I think it's just somebody that looks like him. But imagine you were his friend. Imagine you knew him for most of his life. He's always been blind. Always. And now he has perfect sight. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? They didn't know what to do with it. In verses 10 through 12, so they said to him, then, then how were your eyes open? Remember, there's no surgeries. There's no medical, medical centers. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. We'll see in the weeks to come that Jesus temporarily leaves the scene. He will come back to it. You know what? At this point, the man is so innocent, so pure. He can only testify to what he knows at the time. I don't know. They told me his name is Jesus. Jesus touched my eyes. And now I can see. Now I can see. You know, something else that was brought up in all the commentaries that I read that I think is so beautiful. The healing of the man born blind is a beautiful analogy of our own salvation experience. 
You know, at one time in your life, before you came to know Christ, you were spiritually blind. Now, if you came to know Christ as your Savior and as, as an adult, this is probably much more vivid for you than if you came to Christ as a child, although it's equally true, but it's probably more vivid for you that there was a time in your life where you were spiritually blind. You were living in the complete darkness of sin. The Bible didn't make sense to you. You saw the world only with secular eyes and with a secular heart. But one day, Jesus passed by in your life. And he decided that he was going to have mercy on you so that you could experience his kindness and his grace. And the gospel was presented to you. And you believed and received Jesus. What a day. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day? Your blind eyes were open and you began to see things you never saw before. All of a sudden, the Bible made sense to you. You began to see the whole world differently. It's as if you were a blind man and now you could see. You could see things you had never seen before. And maybe, and I know this is true for some of you, maybe some of your family and friends had a hard time believing your newfound faith in Christ was even genuine, like, what's happened to him? What's happened to her? I heard he got religion. I think it's just a phase he's going through. I think it's just a fad he's going through. I remember talking to one guy who said he drank and partied hard in high school and later when he came to know Christ, his friends just had a really hard time. Really hard time believing that he was the same guy. Maybe that was true for you. That's what God does. He changes lives. But I want to end this way. When you first came to know Jesus, you didn't know a lot. But you did know that Jesus saved you. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I want us to grow in the word of God. I want us to mature in our faith. But do you remember when you first asked Christ to be your savior? Do you remember that? You didn't argue over theological is issues. You didn't have debates about Bible verses. You just loved Jesus. And you were so thankful that he had saved you. Folks, I wonder, ask myself this question, have we lost that innocence, that purity of just knowing that Jesus saved me? He came by. I believed his gospel. He touched my life and I've never been the same again. Oh, I pray for myself. I pray for each and every one of us. Let us never ever lose that innocence of just being so grateful that Jesus saves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for opening our blind eyes by the power of the gospel. Thank you that right now, even right now, you will open the eyes of anyone who will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is God in the flesh, and will receive him as Savior and Lord. And Father, we ask this morning, help us. Help us to take the message of salvation, the message of spiritual cleansing, to all, to all who are spiritually blind. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.